reading is taken from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And on, it's on page 6 of the Church Bibles. Cain and Abel. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin in, you do not do what is right, sin in crouching at your door, sin is crouching at your door, it desires you to to have, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen to your brother, listen to your brother's blood, listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops, for you you will be restless one you will be a restless wanderer on the earth cain said to the lord my punishment is more than i can bear today you are driving me from the land and i will be hidden from your presence i will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me but the lord said to him Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Stand if you feel comfortable to do so as John brings our gospel reading. As you can see, our gospel reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5 and it starts on, starts at verse 21. Hear the gospel of our Lord according to Matthew. Glory, Glory to you, O Christ. 
You have heard that it, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And any, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you, still have, while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may t hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, who may throw you into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you and Christ. I wonder how many of you have read or watched the films made from the books written by J.J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. J.J.R. Tolkien wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis wrote the Narnia series of novels. What you may not realize is that they are both Christian writers, and in their books there is much to help us understand the Bible's teaching, particularly about how we have fallen short of what God created us to be and to do. I've been reading again this book, The Gospel According to Tolkien. It investigates the Christian content in J.J.R. Tolkien's books about Middle-earth. There is a clear Christian message in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, which is explained in this book. We also can identify in the Chronicles of Narnia that Aslan is the Christ figure in these stories. If we fail to see Aslan as a Christ figure, we've missed the real point of the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. <clears throat> Many British readers have declared the fantasy novel series The Lord of the Rings to be the most important book of the 20th century. More people were killed by violent means in the 20th century than in all of the previous centuries combined. Roughly 180 million people. The Lord of the Rings addresses the unprecedented evil of the 20th century. Extermination ovens, concentration camps, terrorist attacks, ethnic clean cleansing, epidemic disease, mass starvation, and deadly material self-indulgence. Tolkien's book encourages us to confront these evils. It suggests a cure for the evils of our <coughs> ills of our age. Tolkien embeds the gospel in the underlying theme of the book, its deep background and its implicit hope. As Pam said at the beginning, we we're in the period leading up to Advent when the readings and themes of the lectionary look back at the early chapters of the Bible. Last week, Catherine looked at the creation, and in particular how God created light and it shined forth on the earth, and everything that God created was good. This week, the reading is, we've had is from Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel, 
But I also want to look back into Genesis chapter 3 and consider how the relationship between mankind and God was fractured, broken by what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, encouraged by the serpent Satan, and how that affected their sons Cain and Abel. This was a turning point in the moral history of mankind and was of great and lasting significance in our relationship with God and with each other. God created mankind in the form of Adam and Eve. He created them as fully grown adults, not as children who had to grow up as there were no parents to assist and encourage them. He created them as perfect beings. But they were different from the other creatures that God had created as they had the ability to think and to make decisions. They were given the task of multiplying and replenishing the earth that God had created. God declared them good, and they were good. Contrast that with mankind today, and we can see that people today are not entirely good. Indeed, many are very bad. And this has led to wars and disagreements, to murder and killings, to the development of weapons, particularly those of mass destruction, which we use to assert our personal will and desires on other people rather than thinking about what God wants us to do and to follow his instructions for how we should live our lives. There's a lot in what I've just outlined, so we need to unlock it a bit, look at it in more detail. God created mankind in a state of moral purity. There was no evil tendency in their nature, although there was the possibility of sin. God pronounced them with all the other objects of his creation as good. They were made in the image and likeness of God. They had understanding and reason, knowledge and speech, and especially knowledge of God and his law. However, Adam and Eve were placed in a state of probation. Their freedom was to be exercised and tested by living under the law of God. They might eat of, the, of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They needed to have restraint, self-denial, for the sake of obedience to God's will for them. As Jesus says in Matthew 16:26, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? The temptation to disobedience came from an evil source outside of them. In Genesis, the serpent is mentioned, but in the New Testament, the tempter is identified as Satan, the devil, who employed the serpent as his instrument. The temptation is in the form of an appeal to their intellect and to their senses. The forbidden fruit was presented as good for food and desirable to make one wise. Thus, the allurement of the forbidden fruit was in the direction of sensual gratification and intellectual pride. The beginning of their sin lay in unbelief. The tempted ones doubted or disbelieved God and believed the tempter. Thus, under the strong desire awakened by the temptation, they disobeyed the divine command. Through this act of disobedience, sin entered the world and death through sin. The image of God in Adam and Eve, and therefore in mankind and us, 
which contained righteousness and holiness of the truth, was marred and broken, though not completely lost. The ground was cursed because of their sin, sorrow and toil and struggle and evil inhumane, inhuman nature became mankind's lot in life. The relationship between mankind and God was fractured, broken, and needed to be put right. Adam and Eve disobeyed an explicit command of God which had a moral significance and was followed by repentance, shame, fear, and punishment. Before mankind's fall, they were creatures made after God's image and received paradise as a place to live. After the fall, they are sent into a rough world, condemned to a life of labor and sorrow, and sin increased more and more until the judgment of the flood and the rescue of a good man, Noah, Noah and the close members of his family, together with the animals, birds, and insects. In the New Testament, Adam is seen as the counterpart to Jesus Christ. And there is more discussion of creation and the fall in the New Testament than there is in the Old Testament. The fall is seen as an essential part of the revelation of salvation, of sin, and redemption. In the Old Testament, sin is common to all members of mankind. It arouses God's anger and deserves all kinds of punishment. The whole of Scripture proceeds from the thought that sin and death are closely connected, as also are obedience and life. In the new heaven of the book of Revelation, all suffering and sin ceases. Redemption from our sin results through Christ as a source of life, joy, peace and salvation. In the letter to the Romans, Paul indicates that Adam is the origin of sin and death and that Jesus is the source of righteousness and life. Turning now to Genesis 4. <clears throat> Cain was the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. He was a farmer, a tiller of the ground. Abel was their secondborn son. He was a shepherd or herdsman. There is some thought amongst theologians that Cain and Abel might have been twins, but there is no direct biblical evidence for this. However, together they represented the two main subdivisions of the human race, the two fundamental pursuits of civilized life, the two branches of farming. In the course of time, the two brothers came in a sol solemn manner to sacrifice to God in order to express their gratitude to him whose tenants they were in the land. Cain brings to God an offering of the produce of the soil. Abel brings to God the fat of the firstborn of his own flock. The early Israelites regarded animal offerings as superior to cereal offerings, although both kinds were fully in accord with Hebrew law and custom. They had rules about the ritual way in which sacrifices had to be prepared and offered. God appears not to accept Cain's offering, but he does grant acceptance to Abel. This is thought to have been because of Cain's attitude towards his offering and his inner motives and his moral character. Perhaps it was because Cain presented the fruit that was most easily obtained rather than the best fruits of his labor. It also may have been because his offering was bloodless. 
Instead of humbling himself before God, he gives signs of strong indignation at God's refusal to favor him. He hardens his heart and is jealous of his brother Abel. And this culminates in deliberate murder. In a vain attempt to conceal his crime, Cain adds falsehood to his other sins. He says he does not know where Abel is and he's not his brother's keeper. God makes him a fugitive from the soil on which he poured out his brother's blood. He has to wander far from the immediate presence of God. He has no genuine contrition or repentance for what he has done. In the letter to the Hebrews it says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. This episode coming so early in the Bible teaches us the nature of temptation, the manner in which we should resist temptation, the consequences of an unsubdued temper, and the gradual steps by which a deadly crime may be committed. Also the need for sincerity of purpose, lest our own offering should be rejected. What's the message from these chapters of the book of Genesis for us today? They leave us in no doubt we were created to be caretakers and not destroyers of the earth. As we look around us, we can see some terrifying things. Environmental destruction, pollution, global warming, the loss of species of animals, birds and insects. The nuclear arms race has intensified with so-called rogue states developing nuclear weapons, which they feel they need to be able to threaten other countries with whom they disagree. All of these represent how we have fallen short of what God created us to be and to do. We need to concentrate on what God wants us to do and dismiss from our hearts and intentions those things which are harmful, those things which are contrary to his desire. We also need to do whatever we can to counter the ills of this world and its sinfulness. We can do this by praying each day for those areas of the world where there is evil and wrongdoing, where people are not respected and cared for by the leaders of the countries. If we're able, we can contribute financially to those agencies and charities that are working to change the world into a better place for God's people to live. In particular, responding to appeals in the event of major crises and catastrophes. If we're young enough and able enough, we can volunteer to work abroad for these agencies. Agencies such as Tear Fund, Raleigh International and Voluntary Service Overseas. As I said, the book of Genesis leaves us in no doubt that people were created by God to be caretakers and not destroyers of the earth. Care for creation is a Christian responsibility today, since those who know the Creator should really be the first to give a lead in the protection of his creation. We must take care of creation because it belongs to God and not to us. In Psalm 24 we read, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Colossians that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, and by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. All things have been created by him and for him. We today are called to be his caretakers or stewards of creation until he returns. 
In the Gospel reading from Matthew, Jesus tells us not to murder. Repeating the command in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. As we think of Cain murdering Abel and why he did it, we need to remember that we're commanded by Jesus not to kill anyone, and that if we even think about killing someone, that is just as wrong and evil in God's sight. As we come to the communion table this morning, we need to remember that Jesus Christ created all things. And as we meet with him in the bread and wine, we have a duty to follow his commands. Amen.